This is Raptors Shootaround. It's on to the finals. A TSN 1050 playoff special. Oh, baby, what a play. The Raptors and the NBA Finals live here. Oh, yes, guy. You know, I, that recorded old Yes Guy. I mean, I just, I don't travel that way. We have to do it live. Oh, Yes Guy. Are you kidding me? It's game day, game six, NBA championships. Let's get revved here. You can watch it on CTV, TSN 1 and 4. And, of course, we have extensive pregame coverage starting at 7, commercial-free halftime, and postgame all here on TSN 1050. Further opinion now. Let's bring in Dave Festcheck. At Festcheck is the Twitter account. He's from the Toronto Star. Dave, welcome. How are you today, sir? Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? Good, good. I, what, what is on your mind now? What do you, as you get set to go through this and, and get ready for the game, what, what are you, I don't know if concerned is, is the right way to, to frame this, but what are you thinking about going into this game? Well, look, to me, you know, it comes down to making shots, right? I look at this Raptors team. They're the better team. They are a team that hangs its hat on defense, which, it, which it's been smart to do because they're a really good defensive team. But they got to make shots, and, and, and that to me is, is where it comes down to. I think when you look at the way this series has unfolded, they've been given a lot of open shots, and they just haven't made them. I was, I was adding it up yesterday, Jim, like Pascal Siakam on open and wide open shots was 2 for 14. Uh, Kyle Lowry uncontested 4 for 14. We're talking about three-pointers. Um, we're talking about uh, even Kawhi Leonard, as good as he's been. Uh, five for 15 on open shots. So, um, you know, collectively they've, they've left a lot of open shots at the table. To me, if they make those, Jim, uh, this series is going to be over tonight. I, I would agree. Uh, you know, I, I like the road you went down there. And, it, it, you know, if you cover a team for a while, you seem to know their DNA. And, and so when they lose, we would, I think we would always say they were missing open shots. Certainly in the playoffs, that would be how you would describe it. And yet, when this team turns it around, it plays tougher defense. And for whatever reason, they start dropping those shots, which is kind of a, an interesting equation. But that's how they look, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, Pascal Siakam is probably the, like the, the poster boy for that whole phenomenon of how as good as. He is as a player, and we know he's been, you know, the most approved player in the league this year, and all that stuff. You know, he is affected clearly by his offense, and when he's not making shots, his defense tends to suffer, and that's why he didn't play much on the stretch in Game Five, and and that's obviously a huge loss to the Raptors because that's not just a guy that can make shots. We know that we've seen it. That's not just a guy who can put pressure on the defense when he attacks. It's also a guy who's a great long, quick defender that they need. So. Um, that's a factor to me, and and, and it, so the, uh, to me, it's very simple. They they have to keep attacking. Lowry is the other one. Where if if Lowry and Siakam are attacking and effective, it takes some pressure off Kawhi Leonard from having to do everything on the offensive end, and I also think it fuels their defense. I, I would be a little concerned about what you said there about Siakam because we've talked about it over the last couple of days, and I think he is a, a key reason why they would win. And and if if they don't win, I, I think we might look at him a little differently. Uh, not that he's regressed or anything, but that the Warriors were able to deal with him, and he certainly came with the splashy headline of what he did uh, in Game One. And I guess my question would be, uh, you don't want to get trapped by loyalty, and and so if it doesn't work, what's their other look? I mean, what can they do about this? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, you don't love their other look, right? They go, they can go big, I guess, um, and use Serge Ibaka more. They certainly use Serge Ibaka down the stretch more. They use Norman Powell down the stretch in Game Five. Uh, that never, if I'm if I'm a Raptor fan, if I'm if I'm on that Raptor coaching staff, if I'm on that Raptor bench as, as a co-player, I'm not thrilled with Norman Powell playing ten minutes in the fourth quarter of a crucial game, and that's what he did in Game Five. 
Um, not that he was bad. It's just he's not my guy. I'm, I'm not rolling with him down the stretch. Um, so I do think it's look. I guess you're right. You can't. You're right. You can't stick with him. Can't stick with Siakam out of blind loyalty if he's not being the guy you need him to be. But I do have to. I think you have to give him every opportunity to be that guy before you go elsewhere. Yeah, I mean that's a, it's kind of a catch twenty two that way because it could really work out or. Uh, you could be alibying that as, as a reason why it didn't work out. It's, it's really, for me, it's right on the edge there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, look, that's why I'm sure that they are having, you know, some kind of sports psychology-driven discussion with Siakam, because I think a lot of it probably is mental, where he's just got to get confidence back in his jump shot, because that fuels everything. And if he, I think early in the game, if he can make a shot or two, and maybe, you know, it's the old thing about don't don't shoot the three, that they're giving you, find a way to get a bucket in transition, find a way to see the ball go through the hoop uh, from closer in. You know, obviously you can't force the drive if they're, if they're backing off you like they are, but you want to find a way to get a bucket early to get yourself going. And, and we've heard so many players over the years, Jim, say, I got going because I found some buckets elsewhere. And then suddenly you know, my corner three-pointer, which is obviously huge for me, started to fall. I think that's, that's as simple as it's got to be for Pascal Siakam. And, and look, we've seen him do it again and again. So it's not like we're asking him, not like the coaching staff is asking him to do things he hasn't done. They're just asking him to get back to the basics that make him such a good player and make this team such a threat. Now, that's another noticeable thing about the Raptors in a loss, would be the open threes don't drop, and they don't seem to want to abandon that and, and go for the, the, the better percentage, too. A lot of that, obviously, is based on what the coverage is, but, but I think that, that you would agree that when we're talking about a Raptors loss, that's part of it. We certainly saw it in game, in game five, Jim. I mean, you look at it, you know, uh, Siakam was 0 for 4 from 3. Danny Green 0 for 4, nearly invisible in a lot of ways because he wasn't making shots. And, and really, when you look at Danny Green not, not making shots, I mean, that affected the entire game, not to mention the last play where, you know, Kawhi Leonard's driving to the right. Who's in the right-hand corner? It's Danny Green. Well, you know Kawhi Leonard's not going to give Danny Green that ball because he's watching the game just like we are. He knows Danny Green's not hot. He knows Danny Green doesn't want that ball. So then he has to reverse it, and we know what happens when you know Fred VanVleet has to take that dribble, you know, waste precious time, and then give the ball to Kyle Lowry in the corner uh, at a moment when, guess what, Draymond Green and any good defender was on to them and, and saw it coming and blocked the shot. So, you know, the fact that Danny Green, uh, you could you could argue, the whole play broke down because Danny Green wasn't a threat in the corner, right? Yeah. And and because Kawhi Leonard drove in a direction where he didn't really have an outlet uh, with a teammate he could trust to make a shot. And, and so, look, the, 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 that's what this team is right now. They need to be able to trust each other to make shots. They need to believe anybody can step in and make them because at their best, yeah, that's what makes this team good is that they, they are a team that has so many threats on the floor to, to drop the bomb and we know that that's going to be essential tonight. So, I mean, those are question marks that we have for the Raptors. On the other side, you defer because the Warriors are two-time defending champs, and yet uh, they were desperate enough to, to push the KD button in Game 5. And, you know, with the emerging tandem on the back end, and it's odd to say emerging for these guys, but in the series, they've developed their, their, their normal chemistry, Thompson and Curry. Um, having said that, the rest of the team is pretty battered up. I, I don't know what they have left. You, you assume there's, there's something left because they are two-time defending champs, don't you? You have to, yeah. It would be silly to assume they're going to roll over here in the last game at Oracle after 47 seasons. It's, it's crazy to think they're going to roll over here with uh, Durant out. And yet, you know, we, you're seeing what I'm seeing. You're seeing a team that 
Looks like it's on its last legs. Looks like the five years of going to five straight finals has caught up with it. Um, so it's hard to know what to expect. I mean, I guess the one thing you have to be leery of or, or you know, a little bit afraid of if you're the Raptors and really, you know, you have to try and counteract is, you know, does DeMarcus Cousins continue to evolve into a guy that can be a threat? Because he, there was a moment in this series where it looked like he might, then he sort of regressed, and then in game five he comes out and gives you 14 points on six for eight shooting in 20 minutes. And to me, if DeMarcus Cousins gives you that as the, if you're the Warriors, that kind of makes you think that might be enough. If we get something else from a, off the bench on top of, you know, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson being who they are and Draymond Green being who he is, we don't need much is probably what they're thinking. But if we can get a little bit from some of those guys, and obviously in game five it was Durant giving them 11 points in 12 minutes, but they don't need a lot of other injections to really be dangerous out there. So whether it's Kevon Looney, uh, we don't know his status because, you know, he's, he's re-aggravated that injury apparently in game five, and we don't know what he'll be able to bring in game six. Uh, whether it's Sean Livingston, who's speaking of a guy who looks like he's on his last legs, looks like that, but, you know, obviously has the pedigree to suggest that he could bring you uh, a few shots that you need made in a big moment because of his history. Um, you know, that's what, that's, that's why they're scary is because they, they, they don't look like they're going to overwhelm you, but if, if they don't need much off the bench and they get it, suddenly they're in the game, suddenly they're making shots down the stretch, and suddenly you're going to a game seven. Uh, I want to talk about what I call the KD cloud. I mean, from the moment he entered the game, actually before the Game 5 when he was warming up, uh, it just seemed to, to push this series into another realm. And obviously the injury uh, had a ramification on the game in terms of how the players uh, reacted to it and, and how the fans reacted to it. And yesterday was a, a day of uh, the surgeries done and uh, nobody's at fault. Uh, th- is there any carryover from that into today? Yeah, that should be that should be something to watch, right? Because it, it was it was very odd the way it unfolded yesterday to me. The way you know Steve Kerr stood up on a lectern and told the media with a straight face that there was no news to report on Kevin Durant. Uh, only minutes before Kevin Durant uh, took to Instagram and, and and put out the news that he indeed had ruptured his Achilles tendon and had undergone surgery in New York to to repair it. I mean, that to me that that speaks to a fracture, even though they're going to. They're going to insist there is no fracture, even though they're going to insist they're on the same page. I mean, if they're on the same page, Jim, why didn't you know Kevin Durant's people give the Warriors a heads up and say, "Hey, hold off the press conference for ten minutes. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna put something on Instagram very shortly here that will address the situation with Kevin Durant's fan base on the gram." Why, why didn't they do that if they were in line together, you know, going through this arm in arm as allies and not? as maybe some people suspect, and not sort of a, a free agent pending, uh, doing things on his own because he's not happy with how things ended uh, with the Warriors. I mean, we don't know the answer to that, but certainly it didn't look anything but fishy. And so he, that does make you wonder, like, how does all that drama, all you know, all that thin-skinnedness uh, that Kevin Durant brought to this season um, that culminates in him going down in such a, you know, obviously a, a, a very sad way, does all that affect them in a negative way as much as it affected them in a positive way in Game 5? Uh, you know, I would, I, would put some, I would put some stock in the idea that it could affect them in a negative way, that it could kind of exhaust them and add to the fact that they are exhausted physically uh, to the fact that maybe you know, this has been an incredible mental strain on this team with all that's going on. 
Dave, I, I'd like your take on this. I'm going to coin a new phrase. I'm going to call it the periphery narrative, and that's all the uh, stuff that doesn't happen on the court, but there's reaction on the court. And so the KD uh, cheering for the injury, uh, obviously the Raptor players had to quiet everybody down. That puts them in an awkward spot. Uh, there's the Mark Stevens thing that puts the Warriors in an awkward spot. And uh, then there's the heckling of uh, Del Curry and his wife, which forces Steph to talk about his parents being heckled. And there's other stuff that goes on, people getting sucker punched. I don't think anybody was asked about that. But but there's stuff here that, that really doesn't affect how the game is played, but it, but it really shouldn't. It has no place here. And I, I just like your take on that and, and if there are any ramifications. Well, isn't that what makes the NBA great, though, Jim? I mean, the fact that, the fact that it becomes – this league is great at becoming a, a touchstone, a talking point uh, for the greater sports conversation. Right? You, you, when you're on ESPN down here, when you're on – any of the sports uh, talk radio stations, I mean, it fuels debate, right? It, it, this, this league does off-court drama, Instagram drama, uh, off-season drama better than anybody uh, in sports, right? The, you know, the NHL could learn a thing or two about how to fuel the conversation around your sport outside of complaining about the refs, even though the NBA's got plenty of that. So um, I do think that's a big reason why this league is, is kind of in charge of the zeitgeist in a lot of ways. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you do wonder what it does to the players, for sure, and I th- you do wonder what it does to performance. Because it was funny, I was listening to uh, Andre Iguodala yesterday, and he was talking about that very thing and about how as a player you got you kind of got to shield yourself from it all. And he said he had his hood up, his actual the hoodie that he wears as a warm up jacket. He had the hood up, and, it, and he said it was. He actually said that it was sort of a like not. It's like a symbol of sort of trying to shelter yourself from the outside world. Uh, as a player, and how you've got to sort of try and tune out all the noise, as they say, and keep the white noise from washing over you, or else it can overwhelm you. And I thought that it was interesting that you know an acknowledgement that it obviously affects these guys, as, as you say, and and it does affect them. How will it affect them tonight? Uh, we find out guys that are strong mentally, guys that are really good at you know making shots down the stretch when the pressure is the highest, and and you know there there a lot of players miss shots they normally make. Uh, we find out the guys that are good at that, they can shut that stuff out. And I guess we'll find out which team is affected by it the most in some ways than in Game 6. Dave, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Jim. Thank you. Thanks. That's Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star. Uh, D. Festchuk is the Twitter account. Just, you know, on that narrative, that, that periphery narrative stuff. Um, so you're in Game 5. You want to win for your home fans, and then they cheer when a guy gets injured, and then, you know, you have to quiet people down. You don't want to be put in that position. You just want to deal with the game. Uh, and so it, it's awkward for a moment. It goes away. Uh, Steph Curry getting set to uh, play in Game 6, and all of a sudden he's got to deal with somebody heckled his parents. Uh, and, and, by the way, his father used to play for the Raptors. So it's just It just takes you away. Obviously, they know how to deal with it, but it's a road you don't want to go down. Uh, but you're forced to, and you're professional. You deal with it, and you move on. But uh, I think they would agree that life would be better without any of that stuff. But it's it's part of the narrative that goes on, and it is part of the game, and it does fuel a lot of conversations around the world as to, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the big topic. Should fans do this? And that goes on and on. It goes into the loop. It's another one of my terms, the, the endless loop that doesn't really penetrate the game, but, but it's out there. Coming up next, James Herbert from outside, actually from CBS Sports. The Twitter account is outside the NBA. He'll be followed by James Duthie. This is Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Wow, that's pensive. 
Shoot around continues. Jim Taddy with you until noon, TSN 1050. And the next segment, James Duffy, the TSN host, will stop by. Right now we have James Herbert here, uh, an NBA writer at CBS Sports at Outside the NBA's the Twitter account. James, welcome in. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, so, five games in, what sticks to the wall for you on either side, for the Warriors and for the Raptors? Yeah, I think it's been one of the weirdest finals that I've ever seen in my life. And it's hard to, um, like, even just that simple question. Like, honestly, when these teams have had the rosters that we're going to see tonight in this game, I think the Raptors have been something close to dominant. Like, they have been the better team throughout most of this series. The two wins the Warriors had, like, if those games were, like, a minute or two longer, the Raptors may very well have won each of those games. It's just, it's hard to get a feel for what's happening. Like, the Warriors are clearly not themselves. Uh, they're not able to play the kind of defense that we've seen for the majority of this run against this specific Raptors team, at least. And on the offensive end, they've, you know, without KD, uh, like, just, just seeing the few minutes that he did play, the, the 12 minutes that he did play, like, it was just such a different look. They could get back uh, to that small lineup, the death lineup that has been so incredible to watch over the past few years. When he has not been there, they have not been able to summon this energy that they were able to summon without KD uh, at the end of the Rocket series against the Blazers series. Yes, they're trying to do all those same things with the back cuts and the ball movement and all that stuff. But I, I think for most of the series, yes, there have been exceptions. That third quarter run in Game 2, the last couple of minutes uh, of Game 5. But for the most part, the Warriors have had to work extremely hard to generate decent looks. And they've just been playing so many non-shooters. And I think this Raptors defense that I think has been amazing people all playoffs long has looked like pretty comfortable in defending those guys and really overloading on Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson. So, like, just from a basketball perspective, if we're to take out all the drama and this entire KD storyline and, like, you know, the, the grit that I think the Warriors showed to pull off that win uh, on Monday. I think if we're just talking about the X's and O's in basketball, uh, then I, I think over the vast majority of this series, Toronto has had the advantage. They've been the deeper team, the more cohesive team. The spacing has obviously been much better. And, and I think for that reason, like when, when I looked at tonight's game, I'm kind of like, I, I'm feeling uh, like if I was a Raptor fan, I'd be pretty. I'd be feeling pretty good about their chances. If I was a Warriors fan, I would be thinking about the end of that last game, and I'd be thinking about the, the energy at Oracle and that kind of vibe there. But I, I think if we're just talking strictly basketball, I, I think Toronto has had the edge most, most of the time. Yeah, there's a couple of things there that you said that, that sort of opened the door to what exactly do they have. Uh, the success of the road teams uh, puts it in an altered state. The KD situation mm-hmm. for me does, just because you realize that they're a different team with him. Not that that's a, a big discovery on anybody's part, but but you saw the energy. Mm-hmm. And, and once you say that he brought energy to the table, then you have to ask yourself the question, well, what do they have left? Because he's not there. And, and I think that's the ultimate question yeah. would be, what do the Warriors have left? We don't really know. You defer because they're two-time defending champions, but when you look at their last five-year run, you look at it and go, maybe they're done, maybe they're not. That's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, based on that run, like I find myself in this weird position where it's like, I've seen them do so many amazing things, I would never write them off. I would never say they don't have a chance to extend this series. And then once it's a game seven, it's just like, oh my gosh, Like this, this, these are the Warriors. They, they have... Uh, been in this situation before. The Raptors have, have not exactly. Um, but, I mean, look, like, it's not even like all they're dealing with is a Kevin Durant injury. They're dealing 
with a Kevon Looney injury. I know he said uh, after Game 5 that he intended to play in Game 6, but if he is actually able to be out there, even though he's questionable right now, like what will he be able to give them? Will he be able to stay on the floor? Will he be in too much pain? Like This is a pretty serious injury that he's dealing with. I, I don't think Andre Iguodala is 100% by any stretch of the imagination. Clay Thompson uh, is not 100%, even though he has kind of been playing as if he is. I, I think uh, just the amount of work that he and Stephen Curry have had to do uh, offensively in this series, the amount of extra offensive load that they have shouldered, I, I think that has to wear on you. And then you add up, they've been playing 100 games every year throughout this run. Like, like that, that adds up too. So I, I think if the Warriors do pull this off, like obviously coming back from 3-1 uh, would be an incredible story. Doing it without KD would be an incredible story. But I just think the effort that they have to play with to generate opportunities is so different. It is demanding so much of them. And that was why I was impressed with the end of that game because really they shouldn't have had anything left, and somehow they did. Uh, game five to me is, is is almost a distraction just because uh, it's weird. The KD stuff made it weird, uh, both the entrance and exit. Uh, the Raptors' uh, open yep. looks, missed open shots, uh, eight three-pointers in the game, only two in the first half, and, and yet they only lost by a point. I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the Warriors made 23s. Like, you would think that would have been a, a Warriors blowout if you just looked at the three-point disparity. So many weird things happened down the stretch of that game. And, and I think I feel a couple of ways about that because when people say, oh, the, the Raptors blew a six-point lead, like blowing a six-point lead against that team with a couple of minutes remaining, like that, that is not some kind of humiliating thing. Like the Warriors can put up points in a hurry and just the amount of threes that they get up, like, and the amount of three the average team gets up, like, this is 2019. Like, that lead is not any kind of, like, insurmountable thing. But I do think if you actually go back and look at what happened, like, the, the open three-pointer that Kyle Lowry missed, the three-pointer that Kawhi Leonard missed, the turnover on that Kyle Lowry-Marcus all pick and pop, uh, when DeMarcus Cousins fouls Marcus all at the rim and it goes uncalled, like, there were a lot of things that had to happen, and it wasn't just about... Uh, the Raptors making a couple of defensive mistakes and Steph and Clay hitting those threes. Like, but that, that was uh, a really crazy and dramatic ending to that game. And I think the Raptors don't have to feel like, oh, oh they just blew one. Like, that, that was just a weird one overall. And that, I didn't even get to the final possession where uh, if, if, you know, if Marcus had sealed Draymond Green a little bit better or if Draymond was like a, a tenth of a second later closing out to, to Kyle Lowry, like we, we could be talking about a different result too. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. I mean, it's a collection of a lot of things that collided. Uh, the one that got the least amount of attention would have been the the Gasol foul that wasn't called that the league admitted was an error with 49 seconds left. But people tend to do creative mm-hmm. editing when they look back on that and and pick the one moment. But there's about five things that collide there, and it is a one point loss with a shot block in, in the as the clock expires. Uh, when you look at at the game tonight, um, and maybe I'll go down two roads. How do the Warriors win this? How do the Raptors win this? Yeah, I think the Warriors need to have uh, an inspired defensive effort tonight, and then I think they're going to need huge shot making, and I'm not just talking about Clay and Steph. Like, obviously, it helps if those guys are going for 30-plus. Like, with, with the way this team is structured, they kind of need to, uh, but but I think, you know, like, does Andre Iguodala have another game in him like he had in that Houston series where he hits five threes after basically not hitting a three in, like, two weeks? Uh, Draymond Green, I thought, was uh, a little bit more aggressive offensively in that last game. He took a few threes uh, when he was wide open. If you can do that, if you can keep the Raptors' defense honest a little bit, if DeMarcus Cousins 
can give you something like that, then I think the Warriors might be okay. It's just when Cousins isn't giving them anything, when the the role players aren't giving them anything, and it's just all on Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson's shoulders. Like they they don't look like the Warriors. They look like something different. They look like a team that still requires like you know, some focus and intensity to defend and stay with those guys, but it's also sort of a simple game plan. You don't have to worry about everybody, and that's what the Warriors tend to do when they're at their best, is there's just so much movement, everybody is a threat from all areas of the court, and it's sort of dizzying trying to stay with the shooters and then account for everybody else. And I think uh, for the vast majority of the series, when the Raptors have looked like the superior team, it, it hasn't looked like that. On the other end, I mean, I think it's an execution issue, uh, for the Raptors, can they get into their sets a little bit faster? Uh, and then, other than that, uh, some of it, like it, it sounds silly and simple, but I think some of it is just shot making. Like, like their their three point shooting, I think over the course of this entire playoff run, not just the finals, uh, ha- has often waxed and waned a little bit. Like we we've seen guys like Fred Van Vliet and Danny Green have like wild variants in terms of like whether or not the shots are going in. We've seen guys like Marcus All have variants in terms of like if he is even shooting that three-pointer or not. And, and I think uh, when the Raptors have been at their best, we, we all know it, it's, it's not just when Kawhi goes off. It's when the threat of Kawhi Leonard going off opens up opportunities for his teammates. And I think he's improved as a playmaker as the season has gone on and as these playoffs uh, have gone on. And if everybody steps up and if they make their shots on the road and everybody says it's harder to do that on the road, but we've seen them do it over and over again in this playoff run, then I think Toronto has a good chance of clinching this thing. Okay, I'm going to end with a theme question. I've asked a number of people this. I'd like your response, uh, or at least your thoughts on this. How vital is Pascal Siakam to solving uh, the series for the Raptors, and, and like how how important is he to this? Yeah, I, I think he's been a bellwether throughout this series, and uh, you, you didn't see much of him down the stretch of that last game, and uh, even when he was on the court, he didn't make his usual impact, and I think that's been maybe under-discussed uh, in, in the days following that, just because there have been so many other storylines uh, to talk about. But, yeah, like when, when he is getting out in transition, that puts so much pressure on the Warriors' defense. And when he is an option to play make in the half court, when he is attacking uh, without fear, when he's not worried about uh, the, the Warriors laying off him and challenging at the rim, like, like he can be a game-changer. Like we, we have seen that. Like Game one was the Pascal Siakam game. I don't know that he should necessarily be expected to have another one of those because the Warriors have changed up the way that they guard him. They've sent more help to him when, he, when he's driving to the basket. I, I think they played him a little bit smarter. Uh, but if he can just have an efficient game, not force anything, get out and run, like be the, the sort of agent of chaos on defense that, that we've seen from him all season with the way that he can switch and guard on the inside and outside, uh, then I think that gives the Raptors something that they haven't had in every single game of this series, and when they have had that, when he has looked at his best or near his best, they have won those games. James, thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. That's James Herbert from CBS Sports, uh, the Twitter account at Outside the NBA. So we keep going down that Siakam road, it's, uh, and I'm doing it not to pick on him so that you know what to look for tonight, and he's the easiest solution here to uh, what uh, what might plague the Raptors in, in their shooting area. I mean, if he's obviously going to upgrade his performance, that would mean that Draymond Green is suffering, and that would mean that the Raptors have a better shot at this. So, I mean, that's just like a, a, a sort of a headline thing. How is Siakam? Okay, he's okay, then then the rest of it sort of follows in the storyline. There are some things after five games that, that stick to the wall. Uh, what he said about the, the uh, Warriors rally, I mean, we've known that, and we've seen that many times, so 
go back to game five and the six-point lead and how it evaporated real fast, uh, that's not a surprise. How many times in the course of a Raptors victory did they have a double-digit lead, like a 10-point lead, and within seconds it was four or five points? I mean, that, that's a quick strike team that the, the Warriors have, and, and so it just happened at a, at a wrong time. But I really like the road he went down analyzing the, the final moments of that game because there was, the NBA admitted, a botched foul call on Gasol. He should have been shooting two uh, with 49 seconds left. There's about four things that collide, maybe even five, that send that game to the Warriors. And, and the moment you admit that that happened, then you start to think, well, maybe that's the Warriors' aura. Maybe that, that's what they get because the basketball gods like that. I don't like to go down that road, but it'd be hard not to notice that. And so that brings us to the next question is, what do they have left? Well, we're going to find that out tonight. We have no idea. But you do respect the team that has been there five years in a row and has two consecutive wins and going for three. That's a dynasty thing where you can get away with some stuff that, that isn't normal, so you have to respect that. You don't go to the bank with that, but you have to be wary of it. You notice it and see how it plays out. So there's a number of things there that, that would uh, I'd write down on a list and, and probably go over them in the pregame show tonight that we have starting at 7 to sort of remind us all, and that includes me, as to what to look for. Coming up next, we will have James Duthie, the TSN host. You're listening to Raptors Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio apps. Raptors Shootaround, Jim Taddy with you till noon. Andy Petrollo takes over with Leafs Lunch, followed by Matt Cause. Raptors game day until 4, followed by Overdrive, followed by two hours of pregame live here on TSN 1050, followed by commercial-free halftime, followed by, well, it could be the endless night. We'll see. You can watch this game on CTV, the full network, TSN 1 and 4. The host is James Duthie, and James is with us now. James, welcome in. How are you today, sir? I am uh, excellent. Excellent, buddy. I'm uh, excited. Wow, that's uh, that's a bit of a quiet Leonard there, isn't it? Well, you know, Jim, <laughs> I just want to go out and play my game. Well, uh, James, I mean, I don't want to upset you. Go, yeah, oh, guy, no, I don't want the visual. Come on. Time. No, come on. Bad visual. Uh, I don't want to upset you. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't want to upset you, but you're on the full network tonight. You know that there are. Oh, are we on? You're on the full network. I mean, the, you know, the, there are going to be these are clusters. Are on CTV tonight? You're on CTV, yeah. Wow, good. Yeah. Things are looking up. Oh, the big yeah. break. Well, I. Yeah, uh, there are these clusters of 20,000 people in various communities. I mean, the pressure. I mean, a, a record audience waiting to happen. How do you prepare yeah, for you this? You know what always terrifies me is when they show those giant screens. <laughs> I was in real sports one time, and my face came up on that giant screen they have in there, and that was terrifying. So <laughs> uh, I don't want to scare small children and such when that happens with my with my giant head. But no, it's going to be it's going to be. I just love the fact that these things have popped up across the country and, you know, even in cities that usually hate Toronto. And that's why I think this thing is so unique. Um, you know, everybody, everybody's made the hockey comparison of well, what it will be like when the Leafs win a cup. And it won't be the same because three-quarters of the country hate the Leafs and the other markets. And even when the Blue Jays won in 92 and 93, which is the biggest comparable, you have to remember the Expos were still around. I mean, I, I was yeah. in Ottawa still at that time, and I was an Expos fan, and half the country were Expos fans. I mean, a lot of people got on the Jays bandwagon, but this is there is no comparison in professional sports with what the in Canada to what the Raptors have a chance to do here when they're the only game in town and um, are, are truly Canada's team. So I think it's man, it's a it's just it's been a special run, and tonight's going to be really fascinating to watch. 
So when you look back over the five games, uh, what uh, I mean, what do you remember from them that that would that could possibly show up in Game Six, or maybe there's nothing. Uh, I think you know I, I take it back to the two games in Oakland because that's the comparables that we'll see tonight, and how impressed I was about how the crowd and the scene and the aura of the Warriors in Oakland didn't affect the Raptors whatsoever and how when they were within four points at halftime in, I guess it was four now, I get three and four mixed up a little bit, but I think it was four, uh, I, you figured the game was over because they played so garbage and, and the Warriors threw everything they could at them, and it was a four-point lead, and then they came out and Kawhi hit those two threes, and they had a 16-point swing in the third quarter. So that's what that's what sticks with me is that even though – you know, Raptors fans who've been through so much over 24 years and tend to expect the worst because the worst usually happens, it doesn't happen with this team. Yeah, maybe it, it, it happened the other night a little bit, but I don't think that rattles Kawhi Leonard at all. And I, I just think he's so calm and unaffected by all of this that the rest of the team feeds off. And I expect the same thing tonight. There'll probably be a, you know some sort of Warriors blitz early. But if the Raptors can survive that, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, we were talking earlier with a couple of other guests. I mean, when you look at uh, the inability to can a three, uh, especially in the first half where they only had two, and in the second half where they only had six, uh, that they mm-hmm. lost by a point is somewhat stunning, isn't it? Well, a 36-point difference yeah. in three points. And, and if you look at points in the paint, I think the Raptors outscored them by 22 in the last game, and that's why they were still in it. But that's where their big advantage is. So... Let's say you just let's do math here and just say that the the Warriors are good but not out of this world and shoot you know forty percent instead of forty seven, and the Raptors are a little bit better and don't shoot twenty five percent from three but shoot twenty nine or thirty. There's about a ten point swing, and I don't see the domination in the paint changing. That's just the you know the Raptors are better there and outman them down there, and if Kevon Looney can't go. I mean, you just don't have any options out of Boogie Cousins who looked outside of Boogie Cousins who looked really bad and was exploited down the stretch. So, I, if like I said, unless Clay and Steph just go cuckoo like they did the other night, you know, this was the Raptors' game to win if they play their game. Uh, Missed another theory we threw around. The KD thing has smacked of desperation, something you had to do, and it had an obvious impact positively for the mm-hmm. Warriors. Um, having said that, I mean, you've been to Stanley Cup Finals, NBA Finals, and, and other championship situations where you have the, the other version, like the other sport version of the, of the Warriors who are in this five years in a row and are going after the third straight win, uh, probably done some boxing where, you know, it's an old champion and, and you just don't know mm-hmm. what they have left, but you respect it because of, of what they've accomplished. Is there any comparable for you for what you see out of the Warriors and something else you've covered? Oh, that's a great one. I mean, I, I've covered all but one of the Patriots Super Bowls, and the way they pull things out of hats sometimes, I guess, I guess is a little bit of that. I mean, I'm not going to compare Game 5 of this series to the Patriots in Atlanta. That was crazy once-in-a-lifetime comeback that was just nuts. But there is a little bit of that. I mean, there is a definite you can't count them out, and... And, you know, a no panic. I, I think that would be the comparable to, say, Tom Brady and the Patriots is that in that situation, down six with the Raptors having the ball and three minutes left, uh, I, I, I read something today that, you know, they have all those percentage sites and the percentage to win for the Raptors at that point was 93. 
And but I don't think Steph or Clay were thinking that whatsoever. And they nail those three three pointers and hold on and, and win the basketball game. So I think the only thing that I think the Raptors should really fear is that is that. Uh, down the stretch, even if they're trailing, there will be no fear from the Warriors until they've lost at the final buzzer, and that's the one. Um, you know, I, I guess it's an advantage, but again, I don't. I feel the same thing about Kawhi that he that he doesn't have that either. So I think past Raptors teams that you should be terrified. Uh, if some let's say let's say Kawhi didn't exist and this Raptors team had gone on this remarkable run and were in this position. I would be a lot more worried in, in close games that you know they hadn't done this before and that maybe they would um, you know not be ready for that moment. But I, I really don't think that's the case simply because of number two. Yeah, I like that. I mean, you know, really, what you've described there is the the, the Warriors give you nothing in terms of emotion. They just go about their business. And, and if you go back to how they looked at game after game four when the Raptors were up three one, they showed nothing but they had a blank look in their face, didn't they? They did, and it's. I, I, I will say this, Jim. I'm covering the series. I, I'm so impressed by them. They're just, you know, not only just conduct themselves like true pros, but they're just some. Even just sitting and watching shoot around yesterday, uh, you know, shoot arounds are really boring. But I could watch Steph and Clay shoot all day. I watched Steph take ninety shots oh. and hit, I believe, eighty-eight out of ninety. It was just. And, and he doesn't even look. He knows when it's in every time and just turns to get the next ball. And it's it's just, you know, I know that's a lot of guys hit a lot of shots in, in shoot-arounds, but his percentage is just ridiculous. But beyond that, just the way they conduct themselves is... The funny thing about this series is there, there's not a lot of hate, is there? Uh, I mean, the, the only incidents that have garnered uh, attention were, you know, the owner shoving Kyle and the Toronto fans, a few of them, you know, booing when, uh, sorry, cheering when the Durant injury happened. There's been nothing between the two teams. There's nothing but respect here. And I guess that's something that's a little bit lacking. I'm not used to from covering the Stanley Cup finals all the time, which by the end of a seven game series, there's always, there's always hate involved. There's, there's zero hate in this series, uh, which is something, even Draymond, I think when we thought it started that, you know, everybody would hate Draymond by the end. I'm not, I'm not sure that's happened. He's just, he's been, uh, He's been himself, and he hasn't done anything completely out of line, except to the refs. So uh, there's a heck of a lot of respect between these two teams. Yeah, the the, uh, the NHL, the Stanley Cup final, you're always wondering how they managed to go through the handshake line because there's so much mm-hmm. animosity. But but they do it, and, uh, you know, that's that's the hockey mentality. Well, some people hate it about basketball, the fact that these guys are all pals. I, yeah. I don't. I mean, no. I think they compete like hell during the game. But, uh, you know, I, I love the respect that, you know, I love what Lowry and Abacca did when some of the crowd was, was cheering the other night. And uh, Curry and Clay have said nothing but positive things, you know, about when, when Lowry got shoved, they came out and condemned their minority owner and defended Lowry. So uh, that's been a little bit weird for me, the love between the two teams. But, uh, uh, you know, as soon as the tip-off happens tonight, it'll be something different. So in, in terms of, of your job, what you have to do, how would you compare the NBA Finals to all those other assignments you've had? Uh, you know, very similar, I think. It's just diff- a different guy to ask questions to. And, you know, it's if, if I was in St. Louis last night, it would have been Ray and Bob, and tonight it's Bosch. And I, I told you last week, I think when I was talking to you, you know, Bosch is, that's the one thing for me is that I go on to these different sports and you get a, a lot of different analysts, some of which I haven't worked with before. And he is 
man, he's been a treat. I, I just I didn't know what to expect. Right? I didn't know yeah. Chris. I'd interviewed him once or twice, but didn't know him. You don't know if he's going to have a big ego. You don't know if he's going to be that good at television. And he couldn't have been nicer and could have been better, I don't think. So when you have somebody like that beside you who you really – you know, want to get information from it. it it's it's a, not only a fun job, but but a really easy job. And so I I just can't wait to get on at the end of the game to hear his thoughts. And so that that I, I don't think there's any differences there. Is that uh, we come on pregame, we try to guess what's going to happen, and we go on postgame and we try to tell you uh, insight from him on what happened. So again, my my thing is always the same. I don't pretend to be the expert at any of these sports. I try to be the person sitting at home in their recliner and trying to ask the guys the questions that I hope that they want to know. James, thanks very much. We'll give you some time to get dressed. Enjoy your 12 hours of uh, <laughs> pregame coverage. Are you doing the whole thing, Jim, right straight through the end until 3 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, pretty well, yeah. I, I'd expect I'd expect no less. Okay. Jim, I'm going to put on pants now, okay? okay. Have a nice day. <laughs> James Duffy. Whoa. Um, so that, that bit he was talking about with Chris Bosch, I mean, that is, uh, that's from the host handbook. Uh, so when you're hosting and you're working with people you haven't worked before, which I've done a lot, uh, you you hope that there's something on the other side that you can work with because the host job is to pull things along and and happen in a timely fashion and have and you you're really controlling the pacing of it. And so when you're working with somebody you haven't worked before, you don't know exactly what you have to deal with, so you prepare yourself that it's going to be a dud. And and when it's not, you really enjoy that because you can just sort of flow with it. And you know it's that anticipation of you know what do I have have to work with here and it's just it's a real fascinating science I, I really love doing that just because you as he said every once in a while you get on a new assignment and you meet somebody new and you actually you learn a lot from that person and um, every once in a while and, and I would I've said this to O-Dog you, you meet somebody who's a former athlete who you work with and they just have that automatic broadcaster timing and I've said that to O-Dog and they say what does that mean it's well you talk in a timely fashion you're able to sum up uh, what you're saying uh, and it gives me some room to work with it and I don't have to worry about you because I know that you're competent that way and you can we can work on the same level uh, that's not everybody but it's really fun when you discover that and the various assignments is a lot of fun too just because it's not the same subject and I've really said many times before I really love basketball doing this stuff because there's just so many storylines I can look at a box score and if you know if there's 12 people that well it won't be 12 it'll be like 17 or 18 people that play there's a storyline in each one of those performances uh, sometimes in hockey it can be reduced to three or four plays and and that's all you talk about but with the basketball and, and don't get me wrong I love the hockey uh, the basketball is a, a really nice sort of welcome adjustment to, to what we normally do uh, so getting you set for game six tonight Again, here's the drill. And uh, as we were speaking, I did some research. The full, and I mean the full, CTV network will have the television of this also on TSN 1 and 4. And that's going to be a, a, a ratings record. Trust me. When we're talking uh, tomorrow, I'll probably have the, and the NBA sends this out. I would expect we're talking about uh, an NBA record for viewing in this country. Uh, so you can watch watch it there. Uh, we will have pregame coverage starting at 7 here on TSN 1050, commercial-free halftime. And extensive post game as well and depending on the result uh, you know obviously we're, we go back to the monday plan 
If the result is positive for the Raptors, you can count on this station staying on the air all night and all day tomorrow will be wall-to-wall with the Raptors' victory. Uh, And so we've got everything lined up that way. Don't want to be presumptuous because we'd like to be able to react to it when it happens. But things, there are a lot of people here working on stuff to make sure that everybody's looked after in terms of you, that you're serviced properly for uh, the, the breaking story, which would not only be local, although it's going to be really big here, but as James Duthie testified, uh, this is a national story, unlike any other before, because when the Blue Jays were hot, the Expos were still around, and they were pretty darn good, too. Uh, this is a, a one-off in terms of having undivided attention coast-to-coast uh, across the country. So we'll be all over that. Uh, Matt Cause will be here at 1 o'clock, Overdrive, and then the pregame show as well. Thanks for joining us in Raptor Shootaround, TSN 1050, tsn1050.ca, also available on the TSN and iHeartRadio app.